0: Is it something in the water? For the second time in as many weeks, a prominent Cincinnati restaurant has announced that it's permanently closing its doors by the end of the year. But, in less depressing news, a craft brewery has a new owner that is poised to help it grow. This is Above the Fold. Welcome to Above the Fold, a podcast by the Cincinnati Business Courier. I'm your host, Andy Brownfield, joined by my co-host, Rob Dahlmeier. Howdy, Rob. Good. How are you, man? I am doing just fine. Good. So, I got a question for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, people may not know that I manage the social media for the Cincinnati Business Courier. Yeah. And I'm not even going to begin to talk about what's going on at Twitter with Elon Musk, but we have that vaunted blue check mark right. next to our accounts. Mm-hmm. Is that worth $8 a month going forward?
1: Wow. I'd have to say yes,
0: although I want to say no. I don't know what do you think. See, it's tricky It's a, a great real time question. <laughs> as, as a media organization that that blue check mark I- at least if you're not a power user of Twitter who's just very keyed into what a a cluster it is right now and is the the kind of the comedy gold that's coming out of some people mocking Elon by buying these blue check marks pretending to be other people but yeah. if you're just a casual user that blue check mark means okay yeah this is really the Cincinnati business career I can trust the news that's coming out of here. Right, it's uh,
1: it's one of these things that's been around for such a long time and it's worked so well. I mean, I know there are a million hiccups with the blue check mark, but it's it's a system that kind of it just works, and so changing that is impacting a lot of people's lives, including a lot of journalists.
0: Yeah. Right, and the last thing we wanted for someone to uh, buy a blue check mark, change their name, because we're just ampersand Business Courier. Right, someone could take ampersand Cincinnati Business Courier, buy a blue check mark, tend to be us. Yep. So it's uh, potential for comedy. By the way, Uh, yeah. uh, Hopefully, none of our listeners are anarchists. No. Um, yeah. It's 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 potential for comedic gold. Also, potential for disaster. Mm -hmm. Totally. But so in the the biggest news of the week this week, you know, I, I went through a period in my life when I was really into urban exploration, and I shouldn't be admitting this. On the podcast, Uh but uh, there are a couple of times where I may have um, crossed boundaries into abandoned properties like the Peter's Cartridge Factory, which is going to come up in a later story here. But I did Google and the the statute of limitation is four years in Ohio. And (laughs) malls, especially given the state of retail and malls in America, have been a huge opportunity for urban exploration and just photography But uh, our our region's largest mall, sadly, may be one such place soon. Uh, Forest Fair Village, formerly Forest Fair Mall, has been closed by the city because the fire department did some inspections and they found exit doors unusable, screwed shut or padlocked, missing or broken emergency lights. And it's just an unsafe environment and apparently has been since 2015.
1: And it's just—it's a giant fire hazard. I mean, essentially, that's what they're saying.
0: Yeah, they're saying that if a fire <laughs> caught, if the mall caught fire, people would not be able to get out, which is you know, suboptimal. horrifying. Yeah, it's yeah. horrifying. Yeah, they, the fire department said that the owner, New York-based World Properties Incorporated, which bought the mall in, in 2010, has been negligent in maintaining fire and life safety systems since 2015, and the, the mall's going to be shuttered All soon. Is, for, yeah, yeah the, the state of Ohio got millions of dollars from the federal government for demolition of blighted properties and this is one of them it's going to be closed and redeveloped by dallas-based hillwood but currently there still are five retailers open in there and two of those are not going to be able to reopen as long as the fire department shuttered them all be fit health club and be adventurous it's um for those of
1: you who have. I assume everybody that's listening to this has driven past Forest Fair Mall. It's, uh, you know, it's a million and a half square feet. It was once a shining jewel in greater Cincinnati. The, you know, it was the future of retailing. There were five department store anchors out there, four of which were new to town, uh, luxury department stores. And then I think somebody realized that uh, that f- the, uh, any development that far away from the city proper, which forest forest Fair is right on the 275 loop, but it's out. It's, you know, it's, it's out there. Um, it's just not sustainable. <laughs> Retail out there was just not going to be sustainable. It's an, it was an incredible bet that they, that the developers made at the time as a Canadian company, not to put it in the city. This was back when the cities proper were not really doing these kinds of developments that you see now at Rookwood or in Oakley station, things like that.
0: Yeah. And those have kind of taken over as the yep. premier places to shop. Right. And, I, I don't know if it's TikTok or or just the connectivity that the internet has brought, but when I was in high school, the mall was the place to go to hang out. Like mm-hmm. We would just go hang out in the food court, go to different shops, maybe Hot Topic, maybe uh, FYE, but that's not what kids are doing anymore. No, no. And so now we've got this giant blighted
1: property on the border of Forest Park and, and Fairfield that uh, something needs to happen because it's not safe.
0: Well, these malls are prime opportunities for redevelopment. I mean, look at Tri-County. Right. It's a $1.3 billion project to redevelop it into an artisan village, which the name is a bit of a head-scratcher because as I learned in World Cultures class at St. Xavier, an artisan is a skilled worker. Right. Right. And I'm not exactly sure what is artisanal about that. Yeah, but don't don't question. Just just keep moving forward. That's what I say with stuff like that. Yeah, it's it's the marketing department who right. comes up with these things. So last week marked a first ever cover story from our new commercial real estate reporter Abby Miller. She covered the housing market in Cincinnati, which has been white hot throughout the pandemic, and it looks like maybe turning a corner here. Now my wife Hannah and I we bought our first home in 2019 just before the market exploded and it was pretty crazy back then. I mean I remember going to open houses and you'd have to you'd have to put an offer right there by the end of the day right. because by evening someone they were going to have a buyer. Mm-hmm. And things have only gotten crazier during the pandemic uh, with interest rates dropping at insane lows. And I think it had something to do with people were just stuck at home, and they realized, like, hey, if I'm spending 24 hours in the same place, I want to make sure it's a place that I'm I'm comfortable in.
1: Right, and people people also had more disposable income because they weren't spending it because right. nothing was open. And the government uh, was also handing out money yeah. to make sure that the economy made it through COVID. So you add all that together and, and the fact that seniors weren't aging out of homes to go into either skilled living or assisted care just as happens in life they were still in their homes so there just were no homes on the market and the ones that were yeah they got multiple offers instantly and they all they a lot of them sold for above listing price which if you know anything about residential real estate in cincinnati is just not a thing Hmm. But it is now, but it has been. Yeah. But Abby, what Abby was trying to do, what we were trying to do with this cover story, and I think she succeeded, is we were trying to answer a question. You know, we're sort of through COVID, the economy, you know, the Fed is trying desperately to cool the economy by raising interest rates. So th- these, they're going to have a chilling effect on the housing, mar- on the housing market, right? Uh, it, money's more expensive. So what was that going to mean for for the the market, the home market here? And what what she found out was that unlike a lot of cities, experts don't expect prices to actually drop here, which they are going to drop in a lot of part of the countries. They are they are already have started to drop from covid numbers from covid prices, you know, just dropping. That shouldn't happen here, according to the experts we talked to. But the growth. The growth in price, it's not – the seller's market that we had for the last couple of years is, is not
0: going to exist anymore. Yeah, inventory still remains the biggest challenge in right. this market. But prices are still expected to climb modestly. I mm-hmm. mean, Cincinnati is an outlier, while U.S. home values are going to go up like a one 1.2%. 1. Cincinnati, they're going to see it go up to about 1.8%. Right. And sales are still expected to climb uh, they think they're going to be up three percent this year when all said and done and six and a half percent next year and and the most the more expensive the home, the
1: more likely the prices are to
0: remain high yes, and when I when, when I was on the market, it was already hard to find anything under two hundred thousand dollars and now it just seems damn near impossible yeah, those, those days are over forever yeah yeah so I mentioned, the, uh, I mentioned the Peter's Cartridge Factory where I used to do some urban exploration and photography, and my photo blog is still out there on a Flickr, but I'm not going to say the name. That place was redeveloped in a $30 million project. that opened up in October of 2020, and part of it was the Cartridge Brewing Company. They were one of the newest breweries on the scene, and Cincinnati is a, is a beer town. We're actually one of the Largest brewing cities with, uh, I think we're number twenty-five with six breweries per capita. It doesn't surprise me. This this town enjoys its alcohol. <laughs> well, uh, the cartridge brewing factory, or er, sorry, the. Cartridge Brewing Company is under new ownership. They just announced last week that Cleveland Saucy Brewing has acquired the brand, and they're going to keep all 52 people on except for the founders, Kyle and Lindsay Hackbarth and Anthony Cook. They're going to be on consulting for 30 days before they depart. Now, I talked to Kyle, and he said that they began earlier this year looking for a suitor, looking for someone to buy the company, because the hospitality industry in Cincinnati is just getting harder and harder, and especially the craft brewing industry. It, it, gone are the days where you can open up a giant brewery like Madtree or Rheingeist or Braxton and be in Kroger shelves and being gas stations. Now it's much more hyper-focused and hyper-local, and you gotta offer something beyond just beer. And the cartridge, they had a, a full kitchen, a chef, a menu of barbecue and Detroit-style deep-dish pizza, and that, that takes a lot to maintain. Yeah, it's, uh, it is fascinating, you've done a great job over the years of covering the, the local brewing
1: scene. It is, it is amazing how far it's come. And another really interesting thing about this, this development cartridge, um, Brewing's development is that it is it was a cartridge factory they made ammunition there. yeah munitions for the world wars mm-hmm. yeah right is, in our backyard which you know if you've been out you've been up there it's a bizarre location because it's not super accessible it's like right on the river i mean it was on the river for a reason but it's windy and twisty and not great for like
0: mass production of anything but that's but what they did. Probably great if something accidentally goes boom. Probably, yes. Yeah, it's right on the uh, Little Miami bike trail. Right. And uh, so the the name and brand are going to remain. Saucy is keeping it as cartridge, and they're going to put some of their own beers down in Cincinnati and bring some of the cartridge beers up to Cleveland. And the uh, the owner, one of the co-founders of Saucy, Brent Zimmerman, actually has ties to the region. He was a Miami University grad. Dig it. Yeah. Yeah. So the mighty have fallen. Uh, P&G has been the world's largest advertiser since the year of my birth, 1987. In fact, there are only two times that it didn't appear on Advertising Age, uh, the, the bu- industry bible for the advertising industry. They're list of the largest global advertisers. The most recent year was 2019. And now, now it's a third. Despite spending $11.1 billion dollars, <laughs> in 2021. P&G is only the fourth largest advertiser in the world. Now, they've been kind of playing a game of leapfrog with Amazon. Uh, Amazon dethroned them in 2019. The Amazon, that year, I believe, they spent $11 billion to P&G's 10 and change. And these are just staggering numbers. But this year, Amazon spent $16.9 billion on advertising. And that just trounced what Procter & Gamble spent. One of the amazing
1: stories about Amazon and advertising is that once upon a time, uh, Jeff Bezos, who, who founded Amazon and who ran it until recently, and is, I guess, the second richest guy in the world after Musk, I think.
0: I think at this they... Point. Or they flip-flop all the time, depending on the share prices. Much like P&G and yeah. Amazon in the advertising world, Musk and uh, Bezos, they leapfrog but, each other. But
1: Bezos' stroke of genius, one of many, was uh, when they were starting up, when they wanted to start Amazon Prime, when they wanted to offer free shipping, the way they, afforded, the way they could justify it and afford it was they, they did not advertise, that they decided to take all the money that they would have spent on advertising and put it towards free shipping. And Bezos's idea was people despise paying for shipping and look at him now. But it's very interesting though that now they're spending so much on advertising you know, leapfrogging
0: Proctor, which is an advertising juggernaut, is 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 stunning. It's no mean feat, but yeah. you know, P and G, I, I think they are um, they're, they are, as they do with their products, innovating in how they handle their marketing as well. I, I think maybe getting in front of people through traditional, expensive, high dollar adver- national advertising campaigns may not be the mainstay going forward here. Right. They um. Can't remember who said this, but it's a tr- you
1: know it's one of these famous lines in advertising. Is that some CEO said at some point, uh, year, you know, decades and decades ago? I half of my ad budget is working. I just don't know which half. <laughs> so there's always been a lot of smoke and mirrors in advertising about return on investment. And I think advertisers like Proctor are are wanting more and more control over exactly what they're getting for their for their money. And which is why what you what you said is true that they're constantly looking at what's next what's next what's next and not necessarily you know buying the just the olympics and being done
0: yeah yeah i mean it's uh you can spend millions of dollars on an ad that airs during the super bowl but are you reaching the 16 year old kid who is playing fortnite are you reaching the 21 year old girl who's watching makeup tutorials on youtube probably not right exactly so just, as we said at the top, it's not been a, a good month for restaurant closings. Uh, it's not been a good year for restaurant closings. A lot of a lot of pretty prominent places from good operators have uh, announced that you know this is they they thrown in the towel. Um, the branch in East Walnut Hills, Fausto at the Contemporary Arts Center, just announced its closing, and Lil's Bagels in Covington also. But just last week, Pleasantry. Uh, one of the the mainstays and over the Rhine, which opened in in May twenty sixteen, uh, they said that they're going to be closing their doors. Yeah, it's uh, the restaurant industry, as you know,
1: as somebody who's covered it for a long time, is still trying to figure out what new what the new normal is post COVID. You know, a lot of restaurants uh, closed during COVID. A lot hung around, assuming that things would bounce back, and. People aren't living the same ways that they used to. They're not going to the same areas that they used to. People are working from home or hybrid, either hybrid or remote work, and that has just changed the equation for everybody. It's also really difficult to find the labor market just really tight, so it's tough to find how it's tough to
0: find workers. Yeah, and like I said, Pleasantry, they are good operators. Mm-hmm. These aren't these aren't just uh, people looking to, to cash in, make quick butt. They did um, right. local food, seasonal food back before it was kind of the the thing to do, they had a big focus on natural wine, which is a, a growing trend in the industry and it's just it sounds intuitive, but it's really pretty simple. It's just wine with no additives, no preservatives, no corrections and manipulations. It's people squeezing grapes, fermenting the juice and bottling it as it is. And I remember when I was a kid, my dad made wine and I, it had been less than five. I don't remember how it turned out. Obviously, I couldn't drink it, but I do remember stomping on grapes in a tub <laughs> to make that wine. That's great.
1: Yeah. So, but uh, these folks do have another um, location.
0: Yeah, they. He's Walnut Hills. Uh, yeah, that's Daniel, the one one half of the the Pleasantry team. He just opened up Iris Reed this year, named after his two children. It's a, a retailer and wine bar focused on their natural wines. On oh, that exact thing. Yeah. 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 All right, so Molly Wellman is our guest today on Above the Fold. And it's kind of fortuitous timing. Condé Nast Traveler just penned an article about how Cincinnati and Northern Kentucky are one of the 23 must-visit destinations for 2023. And they kind of credit her with the revival of the beverage and bourbon industry in Northern Kentucky. Now, when I took over the cocktail, not the cocktail, but the restaurant beat in uh, 2014 or so, she was really the queen of cocktails. She had neons, she had japs. Old Kentucky Bourbon Bar, Myrtle's Punch House. Her group acquired Northside Restaurant Melt and add food to their locations. And earlier this year, Molly Wellman, she finally retired from bar owning and operations. Um, she's still keeping pretty active. She started during the pandemic a five o'clock tale, a daily video program where she would teach people how to make cocktails from their homes as they were all stuck at home during the pandemic. And it's something she's kept up on on Facebook and TikTok. But we talked to her about what she's been up to since leaving the day-to-day in the industry. Now, I want to say something that we mentioned her husband's car in the podcast, and it's a custom C8 Corvette, and it looks straight out of the movie Tron. It's blue with neon green accents, and the lines, the lights, the wheels. It's got batwing doors and neon lights undercarriage, and It's a sight to behold. Spectacular. So here's Molly Wellman on Above the Fold. This is what happens when, like, I'm, I'm in charge of, of editing and, and producing the podcast, too, so it's learning a whole new skill set.
2: Yeah, I can only imagine. <laughs> <Yeah. sighs>
0: I appreciate you being with here. I'm ex- what, so yeah.
2: excited you asked yeah. me how-
0: well, it was great running into you at Symposium, and you been there before.
2: I have not, and it was, I was—I was—I've always wanted to go there because I've heard such great things, and they lived up to every expectation. So, yeah. like, it was—I love what they're doing. It's really cool. Great people there too.
0: Yeah, and they're opening up a spot in OTR too. Nice. Yeah, Larder.
2: Larder. That's—I've heard of that. Wait, where will that be?
0: Uh, it'll be on Pleasant.
2: Oh, even better. Very cool. Yeah. Awesome. I love that. I like Pleasant Street. Yeah. It is very pleasant.
1: <laughs> Where do you live? What part ten do you live? I live at? in
2: Clifton. Okay. Yeah, on the, on the south side of Clifton. Okay. So Fairview Park. I live in the Cuff. The
1: Cuff. The Cuff. The Cuff which okay. Is, <laughs> very complicated when you talk about uh, Clifton Heights, Cuff, Clifton yeah. University uh, Heights, University yeah.
2: Heights, yeah. <laughs> Fairmount, yeah. Yeah. I I mean, Fairview Park is our backyard, so. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. That's cool. Yeah, it's awesome.
0: (laughs) People are sticklers. If I ever misidentify a neighborhood as Clifton and it's it's Cuff or it's anything else, you get the emails. They're sure to let you know.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure. (laughs) I can only imagine the emails that you get. Oh, just sorry. when we get
1: things wrong, rarely when somebody's pleased. It's just basically, and, and we're producing a lot of content, so yeah. you know things are just going to happen, and it's you know it's like instant. Hey, you screw oh, this up, but uh, right, and then we're just used to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: I, I, I was um, there was a. Travel and Leisure or article that just came out about Northern Kentucky are the best places to go in the oh, USA. Yeah? And Ooh. Northern Kentucky was one of them. Really? And the article started out with, with my name, which yeah. is really sweet, but they spelled my name wrong. But I totally didn't email them. I didn't say anything. I'm like, I just felt really lucky that they put me in the
1: article. <laughs> was that, a recent, that was
0: a recent
2: story. Just today. Yeah. Oh, wow. I yeah. know.
0: Well, you should, if it's your name, you should. I know. They should
2: fix that. I know.
0: Oh, I saw that article, and they kind of they kind of gave you credit for the whole bourbon boom in this area. I
2: know. I'm not mad about it. I mean, I'm, it's not <laughs> true, but <laughs> I did open the first all bourbon cocktail bar, though, over in Northern Kentucky. I can take credit for that.
0: That was was bourbon super big back then like it is now?
2: Um it not it still was big. Yeah, there were still a lot of great things happening with bourbon. It was I I mean, now it was kinda like the early days. It was like the OGs of of a lot of that bourbon boom going on. That was two thousand and twelve. It had just started like in the early two thousands we started seeing like uh, bourbon really boom, boom, but now it's boom, boom, boom. You know, yeah. it's, it's funny
0: cause I was living in Alabama in 2012 Yeah, and I was a regular at a bar there and the uh, bartender's like, I, I know you like your bourbon. I was, I was mostly drinking the cheap stuff yeah. at the time, uh, I was famous for keeping a handle old crow, but oh, the, yeah. <laughs> the bartender at, at Pine Bar said, if you like bourbon, you should check out this Pappy Van Winkle. It's oh. 23 years old. And he, he charged me $45 for a pour. Right. Which I was like, <laughs> okay, cool. This, this is cool, I guess. I was 23, 24 years old. That I didn't really know. I mean, I was, compared to Old Crow, it was great. Yeah. But then it came back here to Cincinnati a couple of years later, and now it's like $90 a pour.
2: Yeah. I know. It's crazy. And yeah. I, I remember when I first tried Pappy Van, like, I wasn't a big fan of it. I don't tell Julian Van Winkle I that because <laughs> I like him a lot, but I uh, wasn't my favorite and, uh, cause I, th- I found out later that I like more rye, high rye bourbons rather than weeders. So, so what's why. the,
0: what's the flavor difference then with, with rye?
2: Well, with rye, you have, rye, well, you have rye in there. So if you think about, oh, that sounds better too. Uh, if you think about, um, like bread, okay. So pumpernickel rye bread spicy right has a lot of flavor and it's like robust right and so same with like if you're making a whiskey out of that same grain it's going to be more robust it's going to have more complexity to it it's going to have more spice to it it's going to have like on the finish i like to find like the floral notes in it like the the, i don't know it's like that but wheat bread you know it's kind of like lighter you know, and so it really lets more of the corn, like if you think of cornbread, it's sweet, yeah. right? More of the sweeter flavors kind of come through, and then when wheat, weighted whiskey is aged, you get some more of the caramels and vanillas that really shine through. It's sweeter, you know. So it's a little different, and I think it's. I think they're both really wonderful. I like wheat wheat bourbon just as much as I like rye, but I like high, high rye better, for me personally. So, yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> so how's the uh, the post-bar-owning life treating you?
2: It's great. <laughs> yeah, I loved owning a bar, several bars, actually. However, you know, it got to the point where I think COVID really was the last nail in the coffin for me, yeah. to be honest. I know that's kind of cliche to say now, but it is. It just kind of made it not fun anymore, and I didn't want to do it anymore, and I wanted to see what else I could do while I was still relatively kind of young, sort of. <laughs> So it's been great though I've been really surprised um, how many people have reached out and and have asked me to do private events without even like kind of pushing it really. I've been really busy. it's been awesome. I'm very grateful, very grateful. that's the b- big word
1: so would you would you consider what you're doing now to be your new career?
2: Uh, for right now yeah for, yeah for right now yeah I you know when i when I sold Japs. I knew I could do a lot of things, you know, and I knew I had built a brand. So I had some ideas on restarting something new, not another bar, though. I mm. didn't want to have employees. But I, uh, it just kind of kind of fell into, I was like, I'll just do events for a while because I've been doing events for a while and I've really enjoyed it, you know. But now I could really put some oomph into it. So I knew I was going to do that for a little bit and then just see what else, where it takes me.
1: So I, I wanted to find out from you, do you think? You, had had an, you have had enough for the bar scene. I get that, you know.
2: Owning a bar. I still love the bar scene. Well, yeah, yeah. I, that's what I meant. That's what I meant. <laughs> because
1: my question is this. Does Cincinnati have enough good bars?
2: Heck yeah, it does. Okay. Yeah, I think we could use some more, actually. We really do. We have a fantastic drink industry here. Drink and restaurant industry. I mean, we, everybody knows about the restaurants. But our bars here and our bartenders, I feel, are some of the best in the entire nation. Really? Hands down. Like I'll go to other cities and go into different bars and I won't have as great of an experience. And I, I mean, some of that might be like people might know me, you know, here, which is really nice. But I've been into bars where here in Cincinnati people know know me, I still get an amazing experience every single time. So I am so grateful that we have that industry. And another thing is we're very tight knit too. There's only, like, one place, I think, in northern Kentucky that's very competitive with other bars. However, every bar that I know, every bar owner, and I know pretty much everybody, uh, they, everybody has everybody else's back. You know, we lift each other up. And I think that's really, really special in our, in our city.
1: Yeah, what do you think it is about uh, Cincinnati? Why would Cincinnati have good bartenders? Any idea?
2: Um, I think cause we're just really nice. <laughs> we're very <laughs> welcoming. It's funny, like we have, I, I was just talking about this. There's a magic in instance I don't think you can find anywhere else, right? We're very well educated, we're well traveled. We have some great businesses here, big businesses, world renowned businesses. We also have, we're very family-oriented here. Mm. And, like, I'm a seventh-generation Cincinnatian, and there's so many people who are generational Cincinnatians. And family is really, really important. So I think that kind of has a lot to do with it, just the welcomingness of, you know, you, you're being welcomed like you're part of our family. Yeah, so,
0: I've gotten that feeling as well. Yeah. yeah. Is there something about just the food and beverage industry culture that kind of produces it? Because I remember back... When I was in college, and I would come back to Cincinnati, and I would go to bars like The Comet. And The oh. Comet's a great bar. Oh, I the love Comet. The Comet. But it was it was pretty much just a, a beer and a very simple mixed drink bar. Yeah. And it feels like now, even... And I know he's he's one of your, your former employees, your protégés. Uh, the Northside Yacht Club, oh, Stewart, yeah. like, they... It's very much a divey bar in the same vein as the Comet, but the beverage program there is just excellent.
2: Yeah, it's fantastic. I know I can always get a good drink there. (laughs) Yeah, so but I think I mean first of all the trend of having better drinks I think is is something that um, has come about a lot of. A lot of the bar, a lot of people that I've, I don't want to, pay, I have, I don't have a big head about myself, but I have had a lot of bartenders who have gone on and opened some magnificent places that are so unique and so awesome, and they do care about the cocktail, and I'm super happy that that kind of happened. Even like Stuart and John, you know, little punk rockers, yes. like they're like, oh, I love Chartreuse. That's so weird. <laughs> They're not like, oh yeah, only PBR for me. No, they're like, I like chartreuse <laughs> and like rum agricole and blah blah. blah. <laughs> that's great. And it's so cool. So snobby punk rockers. That's what I like to produce. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's well, to it's go. fun because you can get like, go.
0: really nice tiki cocktails, or you can just for three dollars spin the wheel and get a cowboy shot of Old Crow or yeah, maybe something nicer.
2: I think it's a great mix. Uh, it, it, it reaches a lot of different people and tastes. So I think that's really cool. Yeah,
0: so I don't, I don't know if you remember this, but in 2012, in the, the depths of the pandemic, for a Christmas party, you did a little virtual cocktail uh, creation kit for us and, and mm-hmm. walked us through it. And I still make that uh, with the lime juice, red wine gosh i forget it's cinnamon, cinnamon simple cinnamon syrup. Cinnamon
2: simple syrup yep it's yeah. my cocktail it's my holiday cocktail punch yeah and uh it's rye, it's rye whiskey or a high rye whiskey with uh cinnamon syrup with lime juice and then red wine and it's so good and usually you pour it like bottles of it in a punch bowl and serve it hmm. you know at your party but it's just great as a as a cocktail. <laughs> glad yeah. you liked it.
0: <laughs> but my wife Hannah and I, we still, still make that from time to time. And is that, is, is that the kind of thing that you're doing now with
2: these private events? or Well, kind of. I cannot, since I don't have a liquor license anymore, I can't sell liquor. Hmm. So what I usually do is I have a website that I kind of hastily put together <laughs> that people could um, hit a button and It'll go straight to my email. They could book me. It's called book me. And uh, <laughs> and I do classes. So sometimes people will be like, hey, we want to do a class for our company or whatever. I'll show up with all the mixers I need. I tell them what uh, spirits I need because I can't bring the spirits. Mm. And cups and ice, they, they bring cups and ice. And then I go through like three to four cocktails on how to make them, the stories behind them. But mostly what I've been doing is just bartending where i come up with three amazing cocktails for the season and what would fit the uh, everybody's tastes and depending on how many people, I either batch them so it goes really fast and, or if it's just a few people, then I just make them each one. And that, that's what I've been doing mostly. It's been a lot of fun. So I've done like 800 people to 1,000 wow. people by myself, which wow. is really fun. I love that. And then I've done people, you know, people's parties at their house, like 10 people.
1: What's it like to move through a city like Cincinnati and have so many people know who you are.
2: Well I never thought that would happen.
0: <laughs> but <laughs> but I think you're a, you're a look, you're a, you're an icon here. You're a celebrity. And I think you you Bee's car is also very oh, recognizable.
2: That car, yeah. But B likes to be recognized. <laughs> I like I mean I don't mind I, I I love that I could go around and I don't know a stranger, you know, it's so nice to like meet so many wonderful people. And I love when people come up and say hello, you know, it's really, really sweet. I, I'm very grateful. So and it's
1: a happy, I mean, what, what you, you know, you bring a lot of joy to what you're doing. Yeah. Just you individually, but luckily but, nobody's
2: throwing anything at right. me. It's so. not.
1: Yeah. And it's, a, it's a great escape. You know, it's just, yeah. a, it's a wonderful escape. I wanted to, I wanted to find out from you, COVID's not done. Maybe it'll never be done. But it's, you know, we're through, we're through whatever we're through. How has it changed the bar business in Cincinnati? And uh, is it permanent?
2: So I think COVID, I mean, it really put a damper on a lot of, especially owners and managers here in the city, because it was really rough. I mean, being the mask police is not something we ever thought we would have to sign up for. I mean, we're used to, like, you know, kicking people out if they've had too much or cutting them off. And that was the extent of yeah. kind of being policeful, you know. But tell us, somebody, it was, I, I believed in wearing a mask, believe me. I did not want I, – I had COVID, like, twice, and I don't need to have it again. Mm. But I didn't want to be that person who – Sure. You know, it just was, it just drained every single part of, of myself. And I know from my colleagues as well, it really did. And then the big thing was when it all first started trying to navigate and figure out what we were exactly supposed to do, because there was no book and no. really the health department did not help us one little bit at all. And on the state level or the national level or the city level, I mean, and God bless them. I don't think they even knew. So... But it was really hard and it was so draining and it was so hard on our employees, which we care so much about as well, knowing that they're not making, they came in, we hired them and they, we told them to be making this much money and all of a sudden they're, what are they going to do, you right. know? And that was heartbreaking. Yeah. So it was really, really hard. It just, it drained my, it really drained my soul. It really did. Every bit of it. Is, so. our,
1: is the scene back to where it was pre-covid or is it going to be a long haul
2: it's getting better i think we're going to see a lot of changes because there's a lot of our industry had you know had to change their their professions you know go in a different direction and so we have a lot of new bartenders and servers on the scene uh i'm going to tell everybody out there please be patient there's a lot of training that has to go into it but yeah things are things are definitely different and as you know, our empl- the employees are st- are trying to navigate the best, what's best for them. So are the owners and so are the managers as well. So <laughs> it's starting to come back, though, and we're starting to get into the flow of things. Although I, I say we, I don't have to do it
0: anymore. <laughs> well, you're still we. <laughs> I care. Yeah. I
2: care. Yeah. I feel like I'm still in this industry. Absolutely. So...
0: So you'd spent some time on the West Coast before coming back to Cincinnati, and yeah. you weren't you weren't in the industry at that time when you got back.
2: I was in the industry. I, <laughs> it's funny because I was uh, working at a nightclub, and I was actually a cocktail waitress. Oh, that's but funny. I had bartended. I just made a lot more money cocktail waitressing. <laughs> um, it was a crazy nightclub. <laughs> <that I worked laughs> in. Oh man, that was fun. Anyway, uh, when I came back. I wasn't sure what I was going to do. I had experience as a jeweler because I went to school for jewelry design and and became a jeweler and apprenticeship and everything. And uh, I knew that if I went and worked at a jewelry store that they would just put me in the back and I'd polish and repair all day. And I knew I wanted to be in front of people because I don't have the jeweler, you know. (laughs) I don't look like I should be working at Richter and Phillips. Let's just put it that way. (laughs) I love them. Uh, But... um, and then I also went to school for nutrition, but during my internship, I realized I do not like, you know, telling people what to eat. People do not like to be told what to eat at all, That's it interesting. it was very sad. So I knew I didn't want to go into that at all. <laughs> people don't mind being told what to drink, but they do <laughs> really mind when you're like, you have to eat your vegetables. They do not like that. That's interesting. So, uh thought I, I, I went into bartending to see where I fit in in the city and apparently it's behind a bar
0: <laughs> yeah so it was was chalk with John Robert was that the yeah. first one
2: yeah it was yeah. great I miss it. Yeah. it was that was where uh you know they hired me they're like hey we want you to make classic and craft cocktails so we want to hire somebody who knows how to do that I'm like oh yeah I totally know how to do that I had no idea. I went to the nightclub, you know? And so I went home and I started studying classic cocktails, and I fell in love with it because it has a lot of history. And I've always loved history. And I found that with studying cocktails and spirits, that I could learn the history of the world through that. Mm. So that's oh, wow. how it came. And then so I started making all these old cocktails, and Jared Whalen, who was my chef, God bless him, his soul. He let me in the kitchen to make my syrups. He gave me a corner where I could, like, make all my stuff. And uh, that, cause, yeah, that's crazy because chefs don't let people on the front of the house in, in right. the kitchen, right. you know. And uh, I would make all these syrups and different things, and then I would present them to people as they would come in. Instead of them ordering, I'd be like, okay, so I have this great drink, and I let me tell you hmm. the story behind it. And I kind of got noticed for that, and that's kind of how I got started but I still do that today.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, You and I, we've talked about that before and it sounded like you had a lot of creative freedom in that kitchen to really not just you know, read from a recipe book and, and make stuff, but kind of explore your own concepts.
2: Big time. I learned so much from being around the chefs and them coming up with their specials and whatnot and just getting ideas and learning about flavor combinations at that point as well. It was, it was amazing. I loved hanging out. those crazy those crazy cooks in the kitchen they were <laughs> just the best they still are I mean some of them aren't with us any longer but god that was so it was so great it was awesome I still cherish those days now was your
0: ambition back then to own your own bars
2: no I didn't have any I just wanted to see where I fit in I, I, you know it's funny um, I kind of do this like I'm doing now like I just kind of like okay let's just be open to like whatever and just stick to our our gut and see what happens and so that's what i did then i, I kind of came back to cincinnati not knowing what i wanted to do and uh just kind of fell into it and so i'm kind of seeing what happens with this and it's kind of interesting how kind of trying to find like my soul or where i'm supposed to be now and slowly but surely it's starting to wake up to that which i'm very excited we'll see which is what i don't know
1: (laughs) you just know you're open to it
2: i just know i'm open to it and i see opportunities coming my way so and i think the things that i'm doing now are kind of opening a lot of those possibilities up so so
1: i would assume it's got people as this Whatever you end up doing, we'll have people.
2: Oh, people, yeah. Center. Yeah. You think
1: it'll be in the hospitality or hospitality adjacent? I know
2: know it'll be about drinks and history. Yeah. That that I do know because that's what I want to do. Yeah. So my dream is to have my own, like, my own show to, like, Mm -hmm. show how to do this and then tell these stories and and, um, tell them in a way where people can identify with it. You know? Sure. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. So I think that is, is really important. Right, right now I'm also I'm work, trying to work on this book that I've been working on for a long time <laughs> uh, on the history of drinking in Cincinnati because I love our history we have here. That is, I think, part of will open up some other things that I want to uh, continue to do as well. Well, so. I,
1: was, I was always told, uh, I can't remember her name, but there was a, a big anti-drinking woman back in the 1800s who... Carrie Carrie, Carrie Nation, Nation, who went around smashing up bars, and the the rumor was she got here and left because there was too many.
2: Right? (laughs) she came here. Actually, she was from Kansas, and she uh, she came here to do a talk, you know, to do a lecture. And uh, I don't think she ever visited Vine Street, honestly. But uh, there's one story where she was about to, you know, leave and get on her train and everything. She was doing a. She she would go around the country talking to different temperance organizations and whatnot. There was one story where this woman came up to her here in Cincinnati and she's like, Oh, you've changed my whole view. I'm not drinking anymore. I'm going to go straight and this, that, and the other thing. And then like when uh, the woman finally left and Carrie was about to get on a train, she's noticed her earrings were gone. (laughs) So true true Cincinnati, you know, the way that Cincinnati was so rough and tumble, they didn't put up with that crap, you know, (laughs) they just did it. That's a great, that is great.
0: Ah. Well, Molly, thanks so much for coming to to be with us today and can't Ah. wait to see what's next for you.
2: Thank you. I'm so excited. This has been awesome. I appreciate you you guys. Thank you.
0: (laughs) Above the Fold is a podcast by the Cincinnati Business Courier hosted by me, Andy Brownfield, and Rob Dahlmeyer. The podcast is produced and edited by me, and our theme music was written by Dylan McCartney. Come back next week for another edition of Above the Fold.